Section two of History of New England, sixteen thirty to sixteen forty nine. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. History of New England, sixteen thirty to sixteen forty nine by John Winthrop. Section two, sixteen thirty one. January. A house at Dorchester was burnt down. February eleven. Mr. Freeman's house at Watertown was burned down, but being in the daytime, his goods were saved. 5th. The ship Lyon, Mr. William Pierce, master, arrived at Nantasket. She brought Mr. Williams, footnote. Here enters upon our stage Roger Williams, one of the most illustrious and important characters concerned with early New England. During his life of 80 years, 1603 to 1683, he affected the course of history in both the old and the new world as a conspicuous pioneer in vindicating freedom of conscience. Born probably in London, he was connected as a boy with Sir Edward Coke, the great lawyer, through whom he became a scholar at the Charter House and afterwards of Pembroke College, Cambridge. He appears to have taken orders and served as a chaplain in the household of Sir W. Masham in Essex, whose wife was a cousin of Cromwell. Fine opportunities lay before him, but he early became a zealous nonconformist, and when twenty-seven years old landed, as he related, from the Lion at Nantasket to take part with the exiles. His name frequently recurs in the journal, and his eventful career, so far as it affects Massachusetts Bay, will be touched upon in subsequent notes. Though outspoken for toleration, Roger Williams in his later years made it plain that he was ready to suppress anarchy by force, and in secular affairs to maintain proper subordination. A memorable utterance of his views is contained in a letter of 1655, which has his oft-quoted comparison of a distressed commonwealth to a laboring ship. With all his nobleness, a certain extravagance must be noted in Roger Williams. Probably the best contemporary judgment is that of Bradford, governor of Plymouth, quote, a man godly and zealous, having many precious parts, but very unsettled in judgment, end quote. History of Plymouth Plantation, page 299. That the Massachusetts General Court acted unjustly in the banishment of Roger Williams in 1635 is by no means universally admitted. See Henry M. Dexter as to Roger Williams and his banishment from the Massachusetts Plantation, Boston, 1876. In footnote, a godly minister, with his wife, Mr. Throgmorton, blank, Perkins, blank, Ong, and others, with their wives and children, about 20 passengers, and about 200 tons of goods. She set sail from Bristol, December 1st. She had a very tempestuous passage, yet through God's mercy, all her people came safe, except Way, his son, who fell from the spritsail yard in a tempest and could not be recovered, though he kept in sight near a quarter of an hour. Her goods also came all in good condition. 8th. The governor went aboard the Lion, riding by Long Island. Ninth, The Lion came to an anchor before Boston, where she rode very well, notwithstanding the great drift of ice. 10th. The frost break up, and after that, though we had many snows and sharp frost, yet they continued not, neither were the waters frozen up as before. It hath been observed, ever since this bay was planted by Englishmen, viz. seven years, that at this day the frost hath broken up every year. The poorer sort of people, who lay long in tents, etc., were much afflicted with the scurvy, and many died, especially at Boston and Charlestown. But when the ship came and brought store of juice of lemons, many recovered speedily. It hath been always observed here that such as fell into discontent and lingered after their former conditions in England fell into the scurvy and died. 18th. Captain Weldon, a hopeful young gentleman and an experienced soldier, died at Charleston of a consumption, and was buried at Boston with a military funeral. Of the old planters, and such as came the year before, there were but two, and those servants who had the scurvy in all the country. 
At Plymouth not any had it, no, not of those who came this year, whereof there were above sixty, whereas at their first planting there, near the half of their people died of it. A shallop of Mr. Glover's was cast away upon the rocks about Nahant, but the men were saved. Of those which went back in the ships this summer, for fear of death or famine, etc., many died by the way, and after they were landed, and others fell very sick and low, etc. The Ambrose, whereof Captain Lowe was master, being new master at Charlton, spent all our masts near Newfoundland, and had perished if Mr. Pierce and the Lion, who was her consort, had not towed her home to Bristol. Of the other ships which returned, three, viz., the Charles, the Success, and the Whale, were set upon by Dunkirkers near Plymouth in England, and, after long fight, having lost many men, and being much torn, especially the Charles, they got into Plymouth. The provision which came to us this year came at excessive rates, in regard of the dearness of corn in England, so as every bushel of wheat meal stood us in fourteen shillings, peas eleven shillings, etc. Tonnage was at six point eleven pounds. Twenty-second. We held a day of thanksgiving for the ship's arrival, by order from the governor and council, directed to all the plantations. March 16th. About noon the chimney of Mr. Sharp's house in Boston took fire, the splinters being not clayed at the top. Footnote. The chimney was plainly after the backwards fashion of later times, of sticks, the interstices filled by mud, in footnote, and taking the thatch burnt it down, and the wind being northwest drove the fire to Mr. Colburn's house, being blank, rods off, and burnt that down also, yet they saved most of their goods. 23rd. Chickatabot. Footnote. Chickatabot's domain was on the Nepenset River. For Sanup, the modern frontiersman would write, Buck, in footnote came with his sanups and squaws, and presented the governor with a hogshead of Indian corn. After they had all dined, and had each a small cup of sack and beer, and the men tobacco, he sent away all his men and women, though the governor would have stayed them in regard of the rain and thunder. Himself and one squaw and one sanup stayed all night, and being in English clothes, the governor set him at his own table, where he behaved himself as soberly, etc., as an Englishman. The next day after dinner he returned home, the governor giving him cheese and peas and a mug and some other small things. 26th. John, footnote, the sway of the Sachem extended from the Charles River near Watertown toward the Mystic River, in footnote. Sagamore and James's brother, with diverse sanups, came to the governor to desire his letter for recovery of twenty beaver skins, which one Watts in England had forced of him. The governor entertained them kindly and gave them his letter with directions to Mr. Downing, footnote, Emmanuel Downing, brother-in-law of Winthrop, a man of wealth and influence, was an immigrant of a later time. He was father of Sir George Downing, a man of great but not always savory reputation, who will be mentioned later. In footnote. In England, etc. The night before, alarm was given in diverse of the plantations. It arose through the shooting off of some pieces at Watertown by occasion of a calf, which Sir Richard Saltonstall had lost, and the soldiers were sent out with their pieces to drive the wilderness from thence till they might find it. 29th. Sir Richard Saltonstall and his two daughters, and one of his younger sons, his two eldest sons, remained still in the country, came down to Boston and stayed that night at the governor's, and the next morning, by seven of the clock, accompanied with Mr. Pierce and others in two shallops, they departed to go to the ship riding at Salem. The governor gave them three drakes, footnote, salutes from cannons, so denominated, in footnote, at their setting sail, the wind being northwest a stiff gale and full sea. Mr. Sharp went away at the same time in another shallop. About ten of the clock, Mr. Coddington, footnote, William Coddington, a leading man through wealth and high character, for several years treasurer of Massachusetts Bay. He was driven forth at a later time during the antinomian excitement, and became founder and governor of the Rhode Island or Aquindeck 
plantation as Roger Williams was of Providence. In footnote, and Mr. Wilson and diverse of the congregation met at the governor's, and there Mr. Wilson, praying and exhorting the congregation to love, etc., commended to them the exercise of prophecy, footnote, prophecy, the Puritan equivalent of preaching, in footnote, in his absence, and designed those whom he thought most fit for it, viz. the governor, Mr. Dudley, footnote, Thomas Dudley, now deputy governor, afterward governor, stood second only to Winthrop among the lay citizens of the colony. Savage's judgment of him is harsh and has been controverted of late years see augustine jones life of thomas dudley he was undoubtedly a worthy and serviceable character though severely puritan and was the ancestor of a long and distinguished line before the immigration as steward of the earl of lincoln he became a well-trained man of affairs in touch with the great world in early life he served as a soldier under henry the fourth of france his figure in the story is only less prominent than that of winthrop in footnote and mr noel the elder then he desired the governor to commend himself and the rest to god by prayer which being done they accompanied him to the boat and so went over to charleston to go by land to the ship the ship set sail from salem april first and arrived at london all safe april twenty nine april the beginning of this month we had very much rain and warm weather it is a general rule that when the wind blows twelve hours in any part of the east it brings rain or snow in great abundance the fourth waginica a sagamore upon the river which lies west of Naranganit, came to the governor at Boston with John Sagamore and Jack Straw, an Indian who had lived in England and had served Sir Walter Raleigh and was now turned Indian again, and diverse of their sanups, and brought a letter to the governor from Mr. Indicott to this effect, that the said Waginica was very desirous to have some Englishmen to come plant in his country, and offered to find them corn and give them yearly eighty skins of beaver, and that the country was very fruitful, etc., and wished that there might be two men sent with him to see the country. The governor entertained them at dinner, but would send none with them. He discovered after that the said Sagamore is a very treacherous man, and at war with the Pequoth, footnote, Pequot, in footnote, a far greater Sagamore. His country is not above five days' journey from us by land. Twelfth. At a court holden at Boston, upon information to the governor that they of Salem had called Mr. Williams to the office of a teacher, footnote, Roger Williams, who reached New England in 1631, was soon invited to fill the place of John Wilson, who had gone to England on a visit. Finding fault with his congregation as unseparated from the Church of England, or not formally withdrawn, and disliking the control assumed by the Boston Church over the individual conscience, he went in April to Salem, succeeding there as teacher Francis Higginson, who had lately died. The passage makes plain the disapproval by those in power of the haste of the Salem Church. Williams continued uncompromising in his opposition. The first table, breaches of which the magistrates in his idea had no right to punish, included the four commandments of the Decalogue first in order. In a few months he left Salem for the more congenial atmosphere of Plymouth. In footnote. A letter was written from the court to Mr. Endicott to this effect, that whereas Mr. Williams had refused to join with the congregation at Boston because they would not make a public declaration of their repentance for having communion with the churches of England, while they lived there, and besides had declared his opinion that the magistrate might not punish the breach of the Sabbath nor any other offense as it was a breach of the first table. Therefore they marveled that they would choose him without advising with the council, and withal desiring him that they would forbear to proceed till they had conferred about it. Thirteenth. 
Chickatabuck came to the governor and desired to buy some English clothes for himself. The governor told him that English sagamores did not use to truck, but he called his tailor and gave him order to make him a suit of clothes, whereupon he gave the governor two large skins of coat beaver, and after he and his men had dined, they departed, and said he would come again three days after for his suit. Fourteenth, we began a court of guard upon the neck between Roxbury and Boston, whereupon should be always resident an officer and six men. An order was made last court that no man should discharge a piece after sunset, except by occasion of alarm. Fifteenth, Chickataba came to the governor again, and he put him into a very good new suit from head to foot, and after he had set meat before them. But he would not eat till the governor had given thanks, and after meat he desired him to do the like, and so departed. Twenty-first, the house of John Page of Watertown was burnt by carrying a few coals from one house to another. A coal fell by the way and was kindled in the leaves. One Mr. Gardiner, calling himself Sir Christopher Gardiner, footnote, As to Sir Christopher Gardiner's true character and purposes, much doubt prevails. He is surmised to have been a spire agent of Sir Ferdinando Gorges. His life was not reputable, nor did he avoid giving occasion for suspicion. Probably it was not treatment unduly harsh to send him out of the country, but it was impolite. Together with Thomas Morton and Ratcliffe, presently to be mentioned as humbler associate who had suffered the New England discipline, he bitterly denounced in England the administration of Massachusetts Bay. See Adams, 3 Episodes, 250. In footnote. Knight of the Golden Mellus, being accused to have two wives in England, was sent for, but he had intelligence and escaped and traveled up and down the Indians about a month, but by means of the governor of Plymouth he was taken by the Indians at Namasket. Footnote. Namaskout, later Middleborough. See Bradford, History of Plymouth Plantation. In footnote. And brought to Plymouth, and from there he was brought by Captain Underhill. Footnote. Captain John Underhill often appears in Winthrop's narrative, a forceful personality sometimes serviceable, as in the Pequot War, but often troublesome and dangerous. We find him hypocritical and licentious, under a religious mask, practicing evil. He was subjected to merited punishment, and in later years played a part in New Hampshire, Connecticut, and Long Island. In footnote, and his lieutenant Dudley, May 4th, to Boston. 16th, there was an alarm given to all our towns in the night by occasion of a piece which was shot off, but where could not be known, and the Indians having sent us word the day before that the Mohawks were coming down against them and us. 17th, a general court at Boston. Footnote, the general court was the annual meeting of the members or stockholders of the Massachusetts Company. According to the charter, a general court for election should take place April 18th, not 17, 1631. The general court was at the beginning and until 1634 a primary assembly, but by recent and temporary legislation the choice of governors was entrusted to the assistants. In footnote. The former governor was chosen again, and all the freemen of the commons were sworn to this government. At noon, Cheeseborough's house was burnt down, all the people being present. 27th. There came from Virginia into Salem a pinnace of 18 tons laden with corn and tobacco. She was bound to the north and put in there by foul weather. She sold her corn at ten shillings the bushel. June 14th. At a court, John Sagamore and Chickataba being told at last court of some injuries that their men did to our cattle, and giving consent to make satisfaction, etc. Now one of their men was complained of for shooting a pig, etc., for which Chickataba was ordered to pay a small skin of beaver, which he presently paid. At this court, one Philip Ratcliffe, footnote, However Ratcliffe may have offended, the barbarity of his punishment is very shocking. Savage cites evidence that it excited notice in England, in footnote. A servant of Mr. Cradock, being convict, or a tennis, of most foul scandalous invectives against our church and government, was censured to be whipped, 
lose his ears, and be banished to the plantation which was presently executed. 25th. There came a shallop from Pascataqua, which brought news of a small English ship come thither with provisions and some Frenchmen to make salt. By this boat, Captain Neal, governor of Pascataqua, sent a packet of letters to the governor directed to Sir Christopher Gardiner, which, when the governor had opened, he found it came from Sir Ferdinando Gorges, who claims a great part of the Bay of Massachusetts. In the packet was one letter to Thomas Morton, sent prisoner before into England upon the Lord Chief Justice's warrant, by both which letters it appeared that he had some secret design to recover his pretended right, and that he reposed much trust in Sir Christopher Gardiner. These letters we opened, because they were directed to one who was our prisoner, and had declared himself an ill-willer to our government. Footnote. The fact that this paragraph was inserted at a later time into the margin of the journal suggests, thinks Savage, that the governor felt some compunction here. In footnote. 27th. There came to the governor Captain Southcott of Dorchester, and brought letters out of the White Angel, which was lately arrived at Saco. She brought blank, cows, goats, and hogs, and many provisions for the bay and for Plymouth. Mr. Allerton returned to the ship, and by him we heard that the friendship, which put out from Barnstable blank weeks before the Angel, was forced home again by extremity of foul weather, and so had given over her voyage. The ship, the Angel, set sail from blank. Footnote from Bristol. The friendship and the White Angel figure largely in Bradford's pages under this year. In footnote. July 4th. The governor built a bark at Mystic, which was launched this day, and called the Blessing of the Bay. Sixth, a small ship of sixty tons arrived at Natascot, Mr. Graves' master. She brought ten passengers from London. They came with a patent to Sagadahock, but not liking the place, they came hither. Their ship drew ten feet and went up to Watertown, but she ran on ground twice by the way. These were the company called the Husbandmen, and their ship called the Plough. Many of them proved familous. Footnote. Through ignorance and fanaticism, Many strange and even dangerous doctrines prevailed in the 17th century as the old repression relaxed. Edwards, a Presbyterian, a little later than this, when the independents were enforcing toleration, wrote a book called Grangrena, in which were enumerated 166 forms of false belief, some of which certainly were of character to disquiet the friends of law and order. The familist professed the principle that religion lay in love irrespective of faith, a tenet no doubt harmless when intelligently held, but liable in rude minds to run into licentious extremes. The magistrates can hardly be blamed for looking askance at the husbandmen who arrived in the plough. The plough patent, which this forlorn company was designed to occupy, lay in Maine between Cape Porpoises and Elizabeth. It was sometimes called Ligonia. The title was soon held to have no validity, and Ligonia vanished away. For an account of its fortunes, see Charles Den and Windsor, Narrative and Critical History of America, Volume 3, page 322, and The Genealogist, New Series, 29-270, in footnote. 13. Canonicus's son, the great Sachem of Neringenset, came to the governor's house with John Sagamore. After they had dined, he gave the governor a skin, and the governor requited him with a fair pewter pot, which he took very thankfully and stayed all night. Fourteenth, the ship called the Friendship of Barnstable arrived at Boston after she had been at sea eleven weeks and beaten back again by foul weather. She set sail from Barnstable again about the midst of May. She landed here eight heifers and one calf and five sheep. Twenty-first, the governor and deputy and Mr. Noel, the elder of the congregation at Boston, went to Watertown to confer with Mr. Phillips, the pastor, and Mr. Brown, the elder of the congregation there, about an opinion which they had published that the churches of Rome were true churches. 
the matter was debated before many of the congregations and by the approbation of all the assembly except three was concluded in error twenty second the white angel came into the bay she landed here twenty one heifers twenty six a small bark of salem of about twelve tons coming towards the bay john elston and two of mr cradock's fishermen being in her and two tons of stone and three hogshead of train oil was overset in a gust and being buoyed up by the oil she floated up and down forty-eight hours and the three men sitting upon her till henry way his boat coming by espied them and saved them twenty ninth the friendship set sail for the christopher islands footnote st christopher in the west indies in footnote and ran on ground behind conant's island thirtieth the white angel fell down for plymouth but the wind not serving she came to an anchor by long island and ran on ground a week after near Gurnett's nose mr ludlow in digging the foundation of his house at dorchester found two pieces of french money one was coined in fifteen ninety six they were in several places and above a foot within the firm ground august eight the tarantines to the number of one hundred came in three canoes and in the night assaulted the wigwam of the sagamore of agawam footnote later ipswich in footnote by merrimac and slew seven men and wounded john sagamore and james and some others whereof some died after and rifled a wigwam where mr cradock's men kept to catch sturgeon took away their nets and biscuits etc nineteenth the plough returned to charleston after she had been on her way to the christopher islands about three weeks and was so broke she could not return home thirty-first the governor's bark called the blessing of the bay being of thirty tons went to sea september sixth the white angel set sail from marble harbor about this time last year the company here set forth a pinnace to the parts about cape cod to trade for corn and it brought here above eighty bushels this year again the salem pinnach being bound thither for corn was by contrary winds put into the plymouth where the governor etc fell out with them not only forbidding them to trade but also telling them that they would oppose them by force even to the spending of their lives etc whereupon they returned and acquainting the governor of massachusetts with it he wrote to the governor of plymouth this letter here inserted with their answer which came about a month after footnote these documents are not in the manuscripts of the journal and have disappeared in footnote the wolves did much hurt to calves and swine between charles river and the mystic at the last court a young fellow was whipped for soliciting an indian squaw to incontinency her husband and she complained of the wrong and were present at the execution and very well satisfied at the same court one henry lynn was whipped and banished for writing letters into england full of slander against our government and orders of our churches seventeenth mr shirt of pimmiquid sent home james sagamore's wife who had been taken away at the surprise of aguam and writ that the indians demanded blank fathom of wampanoag and blank skins for her ransom twenty seventh at a court one josiah's place and two of his servants were censured for stealing corn from chickatawba and his men who were present the master to restore twofold and to be degraded from the title of a gentleman and fined five pounds and his men to be whipped footnote copying exactly the sentence of the court appears to me the best explanation of this passage Quote, it is ordered that josiah's plastow shall for stealing four baskets of corn from the indians return them eight baskets again be fined five pounds and hereafter be called by the name of josiah's not mr as formerly he used to be and that william buckland and thomas andrew shall be whipped for being accessory to the same offence we must conclude therefore that our fathers thought the whipping of the servants a lighter punishment than the degradation of a master savage in footnote october fourth the blessing went on a voyage to the eastward eleventh the governor being at his farmhouse at mystic walked out after supper and took a piece in his hand supposing he might kill a wolf for they came daily about the house and killed swine and calves etc 
and being about half a mile off it grew suddenly dark so as in coming home he mistook his path and went till he came to a little house of sagamore john which stood empty there he stayed and having a piece of match in his pocket for he always carried about him match and compass and in summer time snakeweed he made a good fire near the house and lay down upon some old mats which he found there and so spent the night sometimes walking by the fire sometimes singing psalms and sometimes getting wood but could not sleep it was through god's mercy a warm night but a little before day it began to rain and having no cloak he made shift by a long pole to climb up into the house in the morning there came thither an indian squaw but perceiving her before she had opened the door he barred her out and yet she stayed there a great while essaying to get in and at last she went away and he returned safe home his servants having been much perplexed for him and having walked about and shot off pieces and hallooed in the night but he heard them not twenty second the governor received a letter from captain wiggin footnote thomas wiggin was agent or governor of the upper plantation as neil was of the lower he was a worthy man without doubt for the puritan peers sandbrook employed him as their representative and he gave evidence in favor of our people against gorges and mason in sixteen fifty after the union of new hampshire with our colony he became one of the assistants hutch one one fifty and two years later was among the commissioners to receive the submission of the inhabitants of maine savage bagnell had been one of morton's men at marymount richmond island is on the coast of maine just south of cape elizabeth and footnote of pascataquac informing him of a murder committed the third of this month at richmond's isle by an indian sagamore called squid Reset, and his company upon one walter bagnell called great watt and one john p who kept with him they having killed them burnt the house over them and carried away their guns and what else they liked he persuaded the governor to send twenty men presently to take revenge but the governor advising with some of the council thought best to sit still a while partly because he heard that captain neil etc were gone after them and partly because of the season it being then frost and snow and want of boats fit for that expedition this bagnell was sometimes servant to one in the bay and these three years had dwelt alone in the said island and had gotten about four hundred pound most in goods he was a wicked fellow and had much wronged the indians twenty fifth the governor with captain underhill and others of the officers went on foot to sagus footnote sagus or saugus later land in footnote and next day to salem where they were bountifully entertained by captain endicott etc and the twenty eighth they returned to boston by the ford at sagus river and so over at mystic a plentiful crop thirtieth the governor having erected a building of stone at mystic there came so violent a storm of rain for twenty-four hours from the northeast and southeast as it not being furnished and laid with clay for want of lime two sides of it were washed down to the ground and much harm was done to other houses by that storm mr pinchon's boat coming from the sagadahuk was cast away at cape ann but the men and chief goods saved and the boat recovered november second the ship lion william pierce master arrived at natascot footnote captain pierce and the lion so serviceable to the new colony brought over on this trip besides much-needed supplies important people margaret winthrop third wife of the governor was a most worthy matron her piety affection and helpfulness appeared in her many letters preserved in r c winthrop life and letters of john winthrop were also our abundant genealogical details as to the governor's family john winthrop jr stepson of margaret became the honored governor of connecticut and is only less distinguished in new england history than his father in footnote there came in her the governor's wife his eldest son and his wife and others of his children and mr elliot footnote john elliot born in sixteen o four and educated at jesus college cambridge became in sixteen thirty two teacher at roxbury and later the famous apostle to the indians 
There will be mention of him hereafter. In footnote. A minister and other families, being in all about sixty persons, who all arrived in good health, having been ten weeks at sea, and lost none of their company but two children, whereof one was the governor's daughter Anne, about one year and a half old, who died about a week after they came to sea. Third, the wind being contrary, the ship stayed at Long Island, but the governor's son came on shore, and that night the governor went to the ship and lay aboard all night, and the next morning, the wind coming fair, she came to an anchor before Boston. Fourth, the governor, his wife and children, went on shore with Mr. Pierce in his ship's boat. The ship gave them six or seven pieces. At their landing, the captains, with their companies in arms, entertained them with a guard and diverse volleys of shot and three drakes, and diverse of their assistants and most of the people of the near plantations came to welcome them and brought and sent for diverse days great store of provisions as fat hogs, kids, venison, poultry, geese, partridges, etc., so as the like joy and manifestation of love had never been seen in New England. It was a great marvel that so much people and such store of provisions could be gathered together at so few hours' warning. The 11th. We kept a day of thanksgiving at Boston. 17th. The governor of Plymouth, footnote, William Bradford, in footnote, came to Boston and lodged in the ship. 23rd. Mr. Pierce went down to his ship, which lay at Nantiscot. A diverse went home with him into England by Virginia, as Sir Richard Saltonstall, his eldest son, and others, and there were six weeks in going to Virginia. The congregation at Watertown, whereof Mr. George Phillips was pastor, had chosen one Richard Brown for their elder, before named who, persisting in his opinion of the truth of the Romish church, and maintaining other errors withal, and being a man of a very violent spirit, the court wrote a letter to the congregation, directed to the pastor and brethren, to advise them to take into consideration whether Mr. Brown was fit to be continued their elder or not, to which, after some weeks, they returned answer to this effect, that if we would take the pains to prove such things as were objected against him, they would endeavor to redress them. December 8th. The said congregation being much divided about their elder, both parties repaired to the governor for assistance, etc., whereupon he went to Watertown with the deputy governor and Mr. Noel, and the congregation being assembled, the governor told them that, being come to settle peace, etc., they might proceed in three distinct respects. First, as the magistrates, their assistance being desired. Second, as members of a neighboring congregation. Third, upon the answer which we received of our letter, which did no way satisfy us. But the pastor, Mr. Phillips, desired us to sit with them as members of a neighboring congregation only, or to the governor, etc., consented. Then the one side which had first complained were moved to open their grievances, which they did to this effect, that they could not communicate with their elder, being guilty of errors, both in judgment and conversation. After much debate of these things, at length they were reconciled, and agreed to seek God in a day of humiliation, and so to have a solemn uniting, each party promising to reform what hath been amiss, etc., and the pastor gave thanks to God, and the assembly break up. End of section 2, History of New England.